Hey, um, good to see you, man. Down there. In the down. Hey, uh, just how many, at the start of the year, I just got a question before I start. Um, uh, around Equippers, they did this Kickstarter fast and did a series about Kickstarter. Did you guys do that? Did, uh, sorry, I know, I just, I already asked you this, but did you guys live stream a message that I did about frustration? Who said yes? You did? A message about frustration. You didn't? Hello, Chanel. It didn't work. Okay. Because, is it all right if... uh, because I was going to do a part two to abide, but then I was just out at Lower Hutt, and Pastor Cynthia said, don't do that, do this other thing. So I said, oh, okay, and uh, uh, so I thought I might do that, if it, is that all right? Cool, okay, so don't, she was a bit worried when I flicked this up, she thought she had to do another fast. Malaysian Chinese like their food, eh, so she was like, no, no, we're not doing another fast, but um, no, we're not, uh, just to remind you, so the start of the year, all around Equippers around the country, did this um, Kickstarter fast. Did you guys do that? Daniel fast. Yeah, it sounds easy, eh, until the sugar detox hits in. And then it's just sore, uh, let alone the ca- coffee thing. Coffee. But it, it was an interesting way to start the year, because if you think about it, it's kind of it was at the start of the year, and it was like, hey, we just don't want to kind of meander into the year and kind of get to... June or July and kind of think, man, half the year's gone and we haven't even got started yet. And kind of the concept of Kickstarters, like, man, we just want to get this thing going quickly. So Kickstart, we often use it at the government, you know, Kickstarter the economy. It's kind of an injection of energy, an injection of resource to quickly propel something, quickly get it going somewhere. But here's the thing I want you to start to get. It implies that there's a gap between where I am and where I want to be. And it's like, I, don't wanna, I just don't want to meander. I want to get there quickly. I want to move. Is that right? Makes sense? Okay, so um, as part of that Kickstarter, uh, I'll see if my little machine's going to work. Maybe not. The dongle doesn't. It did. Awesome. They put this on Facebook. Life would be so much better if... So it was to kind of get people thinking about that gap between where they are and where they would like to be, and just to kind of get them thinking as a lead into Sunday. Does that make sense? So I I just want to read some of what um, people said. This will give you an idea. So to get you thinking, because I want you to start thinking about the gap between where you are and where you know God wants you to be. So this this is what some people said. Life would be so much better if I could find the wheel for my trailer. That's a guy who wrestles with the big issues of life, eh? It's a bit sad. Life would be so much better if everyone would agree with me. Yeah, life would be so much better if we could convert vegetables into bacon. Do you like that? I was like, you don't eat that green muck, man. You feed it to the pigs and they make the bacon. It's like, you can do that. Is that right? Do I get an amen? Bacon, yeah. Not salads. Life would be so much better... If people thought more and acted less. Here's one I like. Life would be so much better if parents allowed their children to leave and cleave with their husband, wife, and if decisions could be made as a couple without a backlash from parents, in-laws, i.e. decisions about Christmas, birthday, celebrations, holidays, etc., etc. Yeah, Amy. That's someone who's got... I wasn't going to say where that came from. No, no. That's that's someone that's got in-law issues, right? Okay. 
Where are we? Life would be so much better if people listen to God instead of their own selfish desires. This one's a bit more serious. It's from a mum and her 10-year-old son says this. 10-year-old boy says, quote, if no one had allergies or diseases like cancer, and I know that his dad's got cancer and was dying, so you go, oh man, that is sad. Here's one for the young mums. Life would be so much better if children slept. Here's a, now, this will be interesting in Wellington. I'll tell you, I'll read this and I'll see what reaction we get. Life would be so much better if there was a massive redistribution of wealth. Right, most other churches is just dead silence. Like, like there's, there's not a lot of left-wing socialists in Equippers churches around the country, eh? Right. But there is one or two in Equippers Wellington. Okay, we won't tell anyone. Okay, life would be so much better if... If, if, oh, this is a good one. Life would be so much better if KFC was healthy. Now we're talking. Someone got really inspired about this, and so they went, oh, yes, my friend, imagine if that was actually the secret to weight loss. And then the first person replied, life would be a dream then. Okay, so I don't know if that's just a South Auckland thing or if it also applies. Yeah, I got in trouble when I said that last week somewhere, but... Those were from South Auckland people, those comments. Yeah. Okay, life would be so much better if, another one, if my dad was healthier. So that's a bit sad. Any students here? Life would be so much better if StudyLink would give me a student allowance. Now the counsellors start kicking in. Life would be so much better if people had much more empathy for each other and would naturally and easily understand and feel connected to each other. There, there was even less reaction than the massive redistribution of wealth. Like, there's not a lot of socialists here, and there's not a lot of councillor types here. But, like, if you want pastoral care, don't get them looking. Yeah. Okay, moving right along. I've got a friend who's an Anglican vicar. He said this, Life would be so much better if Anglicans could borrow Pentecostal graphic designers for a few hours a week. <laughs> so he obviously quite liked the fonts and stuff. It's from a South African immigrant. Life would be so much better if travel was instant, if there was a porthole we could walk through so we could spend precious moments with loved ones in different countries. Isn't that nice? Now the real pastoral people start kicking in. Life would be so much better if people could feel safe and loved enough to be vulnerable enough to allow God to heal their past and therefore move them into their future. Right, like I said, the counsellors coaches kick in. Life would be so much better if we followed through on our words and thoughts of love for one another. And a final one, I like this one. Life would be so much better if change, i.e. the character of Christ formed in me, would be instantaneous and not a daily battle for ground. Like that? So all that, it makes you you think about this gap between where I am and where I want to go, right? Between my current reality and the dream that's out there. Uh, and, and I reckon there's at least three different reactions to that, three different emotional response. One is, like, some of those you just need to make peace with it, okay? I've got bad news for you. KFC is not going to be healthy, and it's certainly not going to be the secret to weight loss, so you just need to come to terms with that. Is that all right? I'm sorry, we can pray for you. Um, just... <laughs> Okay, the second one, some of them, there's a, there's a sadness and grief, eh? Like the little boy whose dad's got cancer, the woman whose dad's on. Well, there's a sense of grief and loss and pain for some of them. But there's a third reaction that is the thing that I want to focus about, which is frustration. Uh, see if my th- oh, did you do that on me? You did. Okay, is my machine 
No, it is you. My machine's not working, so you're going to do it all. Okay, awesome. I can get rid of that. Frustration is defined as the feeling of being annoyed because you are not achieving what you want. It's like, I'm here, there's something out there that I, I think should be, that I believe in, that I want to see in my life, or my family, or my community, or my church, uh, but I just can't get there. And so I'm annoyed and I'm frustrated. So let me do a quick test. How many people here would say there's some part of your life that you're frustrated tonight? Okay, well, here's the good news. I'm going to speak into that subject of frustration tonight. We're going to deal with it. And by the end of tonight, every one of you is going to have your hand raised. Okay? The goal, I'm sorry if you came along to feel happy. The goal is that you go away feeling frustrated and annoyed. Because I want to show you that I believe that it's biblical to be frustrated. To be annoyed. In fact, I want to say to you, if you're not frustrated, you're not I don't know what planet you're living on. Let me show you. Can you flick out the next one? Because Paul says this, Romans 8, for creation was subjected to frustration. If you're not frustrated, you're living in la-la land. You're out of touch with reality. Because this world is frustrating. The Bible says it is. The Bible says there's a gap between our experience and what we know could be. And it's annoying and it's frustrating that we can't take hold of it. You know, if you flick up the next one, this is going to work well. This passage, when he unpacks it three times, he talks about groaning. If a Jewish person says something three times, that's what they're emphasizing. He says, we know the whole creation has been groaning. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first, spirits, first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. And then down the bottom, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us through wordless groans. It's like this world is groaning for something better. And because we live in this world, we're groaning. But here's maybe a surprise for you. The Holy Spirit is groaning in you. We often talk about the Holy Spirit comes and he brings peace and he brings joy. But you don't know the Holy Spirit if you don't know the Spirit that just produces a discontent and a frustration and an annoyance with where you're at, and a groaning for something better. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight, the sense of there's something more, there's got to be something better. If you flick out the next one, it's actually, unpack it a bit more. Another translation says it's a particular kind of frustration. The creation was subjected to futility. It's like, man, I just try and do so. I, I want to achieve something in my life, but when I try, it just seems futile. You know, I want something better for my family, but when I try, it just seems futile. It doesn't happen. I want something better in my workplace or my community or my church, but whatever I try, it just feels futile, and so I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed. It's in the Bible. Okay, interesting. The word that's used there is the word when the Jews translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek. It's the word that they used to translate uh, in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, or vanity of vanities. It's the, the root word is the idea of a mist or a vapor. And it's like, I can see it out there, but when I go to grab hold of it, it just slides through my fingers and I can't get hold of it, and so I'm frustrated. I can see something better for my life. I can see something better for my marriage or my family. I can see it out there, something more better for church or more significant. But when I try and grab hold of it, I just can't lay hold of it. And so I'm frustrated. Because I think there should be more. I can see it. I just can't grab hold of it. 
Anyone got part of that in your life today? Starting to go, yeah, I, I get that. That's this frustration. Look up the next one. It's interesting, the contrast. All have sinned and fall short. What's the thing that we fall short of? Paul says the glory. Do you know the root word of glory in Hebrew is weightiness? It's like um, vapor or mist. But actually, I'm, I'm meant for something that carries weight. I, I have the sense my life was supposed to carry more weight that, not from KFC around the tummy, but weight of, of significance, of meaning, of purpose. I, I, and I keep falling short of that. I have the sense that my marriage or my family is meant to carry more weight of God than it does. And, and, and equip is Wellington and, and our youth. And it, I, I can see it. It's out there. I know it's supposed to carry more weight. And, but when I try to grab hold of it, I, it slips through my fingers. And so I'm frustrated and annoyed. And God wants to do something with that and about that. You know, he, he says, you go, well, man, this is depressing. I came to church to feel better. Like, does the gospel not make any difference? Yeah, it makes a lot of difference because he says this. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Paul's interpretation is this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we actually know there is something better coming. But that just makes the current groaning even more frustrating because we don't have the option to give up. We know something better is coming. We're just not seeing it birthed right now. But that just makes us more frustrated because we know it's out there. We just can't lay hold of it yet. And so we're frustrated and we're annoyed and we're groaning. This um, passage, Paul unpacks it. See if you can pick this up. His argument, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There's the passage we looked at. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into what? The freedom and glory, or other ones say the glorious freedom, or the freedom of the glory. What kind of freedom is Paul talking about? The freedom from futility, the freedom to pick up weight, the freedom to pick up significance. And do you hear what this is saying? It's saying all of creation is looking on at your life, and your family, and your ministry, and this church, and it's saying, come on, Equippers Wellington, we're waiting for you to pick up more of the weight of God, because then we're going to be caught up and dragged into that reality with you. And they say, come on, on, guys, we, we're trapped until you take on that weight, until you break through out of futility. We're never going to, Wellington's going to be stuck in futility until the children of God pick up something of the freedom to pick up the significance of the call of God on your lives. There's a destiny. There's, there's, there's ripple effects that the world is waiting to happen when you step into your purpose and destiny and significance in God. Man, God's reminding you about that and this. Okay, you know, and so we're not surprised. I've mentioned before, we, we often, we often would talk about the spirits like the cute little dove and he's going to make you feel all peaceful and joy. It's like, no, he's going to come and he's going to groan within you. He's going to make you discontent. It's going to make you annoyed. It's going to make you frustrated. 
with life. So it's not surprising if you flick up the next one, you know, the promise in Acts 2. When the Spirit's poured out, what happens? Well, your sons and daughters start prophesying. People start seeing visions and dreaming dreams because the Spirit is just stirring up with possibilities, with potential, with dreams of what could be. The most natural thing when you, the Spirit comes on you is you start seeing a better future. And you start seeing it out there, and something stirs to want to lay hold of that and to grab it and to make it real. Now, Paul's contrast uh, is mainly between the whole age now and the age to come when Jesus returns. But, there's a big but. Let me read this in 2 Corinthians. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is already a dimension of this liberty, this freedom from futility. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, here's the thing, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed right now into his image with ever-increasing glory. Your life should carry more weight now than it did a year ago. You should be determined that you're not going to be sitting here in a year's time still the same person as you are today. You go, my life is going to carry more purpose, more significance, more destiny. This church is going to carry more significance, more purpose, more destiny. We're not prepared just to say, set the status quo and go, this is good enough. We go, there's more. And we just want the Spirit to keep transforming us to move into more. It's like there's more. We're not, we've got to break up this, this acceptance of the status quo. And we've got to go, there's more. Because all creation is waiting for you to pick that up. Waiting for you to pick up more. I was read this book by this Christian psychotherapist over last summer holidays. It's a bit psychobabble stuff. But he says this. I'll explain it. Markers of fully actualized humanity. That just means kind of people who have got it together. Include such things as, and he said this, and I was stunned. I was literally stunned. He's saying a person who's got it together has a healthy balance between gratification and frustration. Because I thought, man, we have this image of like the real spiritual person. They're just totally calm. You know, the, the Yoda, the Gandalf, the, you know, the Zen master. I'm just, great. I'm just at peace with the universe. And it's like, now, if you're totally frustrated, you're just going to drive yourself nuts and everyone else nuts. You go crazy. But, he, but he's saying, if you're just totally gratified, like you're just a blob and a slob. You know, how's life? Oh, it's all good. No, it's not all good. How's life? Sweet as. No, it's not sweet as. How dare you accept the status quo? How dare you not rebel against the brokenness of our world, the limitations of what has yet been seen in your life and your family and your community in this church? A, A mature person holds a healthy balance between gratification and frustration. You know, I love it. Do you guys do the Thanksgiving November kind of thing? I really like, when I read this, I thought, that's a really healthy spirituality, according to this guy in Equipa. So November, spend a whole month. Thank you, God, for all the blessings. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. Remember all the good things you've done. You are so good. I've been so blessed. Get that sussed, all in the zone with that. Then February, fasting and praying. Come on, God, there's more. We want to kickstart. We want to move on. We want to go forward. We want to see more. This guy says, that's, it. that's a real healthy tension. Gratif- gratified and frustrated. Let me show you the Apostle Paul's like this in one letter. So if you flick this up, 
This is, this, is, this is Yoda Paul, kind of Zen master, calm, content, at peace with the universe Paul, okay? I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's Mr. Gratified Paul. Okay, one chapter before this. Listen to this. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is amazing. This is, this is Paul. He's written one-third of the New Testament. He launched the church into Turkey and Greece and heading over to Italy and heading for Spain. Like, he's the one-man launch of Christianity after Jesus. And, 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 you know, like, seriously, Jesus spends three years training 12 guys and then says, okay, you reach Israel. Then he knocks this other guy off his donkey and goes, you get the rest of the world. Paul goes, yep, sweet as. I'll go for that. We're going to go. Write the Bible. Evangelize the world. He's in his 60s. Like, seriously, Paul, what did you want to do? Write the whole Bible. You know, go to Mars or something. Like, relax, man. Do you know, do you hear what he's saying? I press on to, t I haven't already arrived at my goal. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He said, I have seen something more to what Paul was called to be, and I haven't yet laid hold on it. Seriously, I haven't yet. I've, I've written most of the New Testament. I've evangelized most of the known world. But there's more to my life yet. I haven't yet laid hold of it. I'm still something more out there that I want to take hold of. So everything is, I press on to take hold of that thing. If the greatest missionary, apostle, theologian, church planner in the history of the world was dissatisfied with the status quo and what he had achieved, how dare you say it's all good? How dare you not be frustrated? How dare you make peace with where you're at and not go, there's more. God took hold of my life for something more than I've seen yet. And I'm not prepared to settle down and make peace with it. He actually does it even in one verse. Don't be anxious about anything, you know, but with thanksgiving. Do what? Well, present your request to God. So I'm not anxious, I'm thankful, but I have requests. There's stuff that's not in my world that I want to see come into my world. So I'm petitioning God. I'm saying, God, come on, break through into my life. Come on, God, work in this marriage. Reach out to those unsaved people in my family. Come on, God, change my school. Reach out to those people in my workplace. Come on, God, Equippers Wellington needs to pick up more weight. It needs some breakthrough. Come on, God, I'm bringing some requests to you. I'm not anxious. I'm thankful. But man, I've got some requests because I'm frustrated with where I'm at and I want to see more. This guy, Simon Walker, he's an English um, leadership consultant. I love this. Have a listen to this. I, it's, I just, it's so powerful. Most leaders are to some extent idealists. 
They have a desire for things to be different, to be better. Thus, the leader lives all the time with a discrepancy between the world that they want and want others to inhabit and the world that they and others actually do inhabit. You got that? They live with that gap. So he says this. I, someone doesn't like disagreed with this, but whatever. Just take it. Psychologists call this condition cognitive dissonance. There is a discord between the reality and the ideal. This is powerful. Most people deal with that cognitive dissonance fairly effectively simply by choosing to look away from the ideal. It's too much tension living with that, too painful living with that discord. So what do I do? I surrender the ideal and I make peace with the reality that I've got. Listen to this. They come to tolerate the reality by avoiding the evidence By filtering the data they receive, they fabricate a world in which the discrepancy is less. Isn't that, it's too painful to live with the tension. So I, well, can you go back? So So I avoid the evidence, I filter the data, I fabricate a world in which the discrepancy. What do you mean? Well, what about this? Estimate somewhere between, that's something around 250,000 children living in poverty in New Zealand. Immediately. Oh, but that's not real poverty. That's not like India. No, no, their health and their education is compromised by the living conditions of their family. That's painful to live with that, isn't it? What about this? 50%, over, just over 50% of the prison population is Māori. That's not Okay. Before the rapid urbanization of Māori in the kind of 1940s, 1950s, the prison population was proportionally lower because they were connected in whānau and iwi. Something's wrong. That's not okay. What about this? Today, this morning, between 80 or 90% of people in Wellington didn't come to church. They don't know Jesus. 80 to 90%. 8 to 9 out of 10 people don't give a Toss, don't give a rip, don't understand the significance of Jesus. Or if they do, they don't think it's their church is worthwhile investing in. That's not okay. Because we actually believe that that's the greatest message they could know. And but what, oh no, no, but we, we, we really like Equippers Wellington. We like, we're family and da-da. no, 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 no. Oh, that's cool. But 80 to 90% of Wellington doesn't know that. You know, I love uh, Pastor Sam Monk in Auckland. He'll often say, you know, we're going to reach our city or we're going to close the doors, but we're not going to do anything in between. It's like, relax, man. Last Sunday you had 2,500 people in your services. Pat yourself on the back. No, but I measure against... I refuse to take my eyes off the bigger picture, which is 1.4 million people who don't know Jesus. That's the ideal. That's the standard. And I choose to live with that tension. Well, that he does. Now go on the next one. So he says, the leader, however, is motivated by a desire to hold on to the ideal. Indeed, it's the ideal that drives them. That's what I was talking about with Pastor Sam. Listen to this. Accordingly, they commit themselves to a journey that will inevitably lead them into a dissonance between the reality and the ideal. Attention that they refuse, comma, until they give up leading, comma, to deny or suppress. The moment you surrender that tension, you've abdicated leadership. You've abdicated leadership of your life, of your marriage, of your family. You've abdicated leadership of your church, of your school, of your workplace. 
the leader chooses to live with the tension of that. It's pretty powerful stuff, don't you think? Not me, this. It's like, man, frustration. A sense of dissonance with the gap between where we are and, and what we know, what we've seen God has for us. Something more. Flick up the next one, you go, well, Paul, he was a bit uptight, these other guys, whatever, but Jesus, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I'm sure he wasn't frustrated. Well, let me show you frustrated Jesus. So the book of John, the centerpiece miracle in the book of John is the raising of Lazarus. And the account here, when Jesus saw the sister weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked Come and see, Lord, they replied, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. Don't jump on from this one. Just hold on this one. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Three times talks about weeping. The sister wept, the Jews wept, Jesus wept. This is not polite Anglo-Saxon dabbing with the, the corner of his eye with his um, hanky. This is Middle Eastern wailing and snot and tears. They looked at him and went, oh my goodness, look how much he loved that guy. Jesus weeping. But the significant, no, oh sorry, go back, is not the weeping twice, it says, the third line down, he was deeply moved in spirit, then down the bottom, once more deeply moved. Because it's said in the context of three references to weeping, it's often assumed that it's deeply moved with sadness, but in Greek the word is not sadness, but anger. In fact, it comes literally from the, the description of a horse snorting. Now, I'm, yeah, horsey. Now, I'm not a good actor, but it's like this. It's like Jesus standing there in front of the tomb and people weeping, and he's kind of like, and he's sweeping, and there's snot, and he's angry, and he's shaking, and in the end, he goes, come out, Lazarus. Because he's annoyed and he's frustrated and he's angry at the brokenness of his world and the suffering of his friends. That wasn't a very good snort that time. But you get the picture? He's angry and frustrated. And it propelled, yes, Jesus was propelled by compassion, but he was also propelled by frustration at the world that he lived in and what people had to put up with. You know, it's interesting if you flick up the next one a bit earlier when he's away from that, he can get all theological. You know, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. So God's son may be glorified. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I was glad I was not there. So you may believe, but let us go to him. But, when you, but in the midst of suffering, he's not doing theology. He's just weeping and tears and snot and snorting and angry and frustrated. And maybe if you're not feeling that, you just need to get a bit closer to some pain in our world. Till you're frustrated and annoyed and angry. This is not right. This should not be happening to the children of our community. This is not right that young girls in our schools are feeling this. This is not right that people are experiencing this in our world. We should not be accepting this. This is not okay. Come on, we need to get a bit frustrated, church. We need to get a bit annoyed at what's going on. We need to get a bit determined that we're not prepared to accept this and that we want to see something better. Look up the next one. After the series, we did a, t a series in Auckland called The Revolutionaries. And um, um, 
there's a whole lot of stuff around branding archetypes of what an organization is like that calls itself revolutionary. And if you flick up the next one, I found this sentence. It's not one of those wow sentences, but when you analyze it, every word carries weight. So let me, let me unpack it a bit. Revolutionaries channel frustrations constructively. Let's start word by word. Revolutionaries channel frustration. The, the driver of revolution is frustration. The energy of revolution is frustration. The fuel of revolution is frustrated. If you ain't frustrated, you ain't never going to be a revolutionary. If you are not frustrated with the status quo, you have no drive to change something about the status quo. You're just going, it's okay. It's not that bad. Or maybe it's as good as it gets. No, some revolutionaries are frustrated. They're annoyed. They're not prepared to accept it. But it says revolutionaries channel those frustrations. They take that energy and they harness it to propel them to make a difference, to, to sustain change beyond a whim. You know, in our society, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm militant because I did a Facebook like or I changed my profile picture for 24 hours to stand with, you know, the abducted girls or the whatever. Like, what a lot of crap. Seriously revolutionaries channel frustration and go, I'm going to do more than just change my profile pick or my status. Come on, I'm going to sustain energy and drive till something changes in my world. This is not good enough. I go, I've given my life to make a change in this area. And it, but then the great thing, revolutionaries channel frustrations constructively. They just don't criticize. They just don't pull down. They take frustration. They harness it. But they use it to build a better reality, an alternative future, to lay hold of something that they've seen of what God wants for their life and their family and their community. Revolutionaries channel frustration. That's why I want you to be frustrated tonight. Because I want you to be a revolutionary church that changes stuff because you're frustrated. Fuck up the next one. So, th so that was the kind of series that we did. What is my phone? And I, I preached this back in, I think, February up in Auckland. And I was going to go down to Manukau, South Auckland, the following night. And a young Māori woman from Manukau did a posting, posting on Facebook. Posting on Facebook posting on Facebook, and it's, I was like, oh my goodness, she just summed up in one posting exactly what I'm talking about. So I, I texted her and said, I'm preaching at your church tomorrow night, and you just nailed my sermon in one posting. Could I read it out? And she said, yes. So I, I want to read this out. Have a listen. This is what I'm talking about, okay? This is what I'm talking about tonight. This is what she said. Heartbroken as I sit at the train station and watch a whole group of young girls across from me, swearing up a storm, arguing over smokes, and telling the dumbest stories ever. One of them walked off with her cousin's phone, laughing as if she was going to steal it. A lady threatened to ring the police, and the girl defended her cousin. All of them looked like Māori. That's why you need to know this young woman's Māori. This is why Māori. Um, I am, this is what she said, I am disappointed to see that these girls don't have enough positive role models in their world. I am very challenged to reach out to girls like this in my own flippin' neighborhood. Their behavior was so dishonorable, and it actually hurt to sit there and watch them. I am determined to not let that happen again within, without me inviting them to the best party ever. That means church and youth. 
where they'll find plenty of royals. That means people who know who they are in God. Living in their hood who know how to honor, love, and respect. Then she says this, capital letters, anyone with me? Then hashtag heart for Manurewa. And then a hyphen, feeling conflicted. That's powerful. Heartbroken, disappointed, challenged, determined, conflicted. That's what I'm talking about. That's godly frustration. Can I ask you to stand? Can I get the person on the music thing doing that? And, and, but don't, don't take away my slides yet. Can I get you to stand? We're going to pray in a minute. And, uh, and we're going to offer, some of the leaders are going to offer to pray for people. And we often, you know, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes on you and you feel peace and you feel love. We're going to pray for people who want an anointing of frustration. You go, where is that in the Bible? Well, let me show you. Look up the next one, if you want to play something. This is from Judges. This is about Samson. It says, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanir Dan. This is, he was born with a destiny and purpose. He went on to be a judge who delivered Israel. But it says, something happened to him as a young man. The Spirit began to stir in him. And the significance is the Mahanah Dan in Hebrew means the war camp of Dan. And it's like, he wasn't stirred by the Spirit when he was hanging around interpretive dance classes or relax and soak in the Holy Spirit. He was stirred by the Spirit when he hung around soldiers. Something had stirred in him that says, come on, Samson, you can make a difference. Come on, Samson, put a bit of fight in you. Come on, Samson, I want to put a bit of mongrel in you. Come on, Samson, I want you annoyed with the status quo. Come on, Samson, I want you frustrated. Where is Israel? I want to stir up something in you. And when he arose as a leader, it wasn't just human frustration. It was the stirring of the Spirit of God in his life. And there's another level of significance because all the other tribes had possessed their land, but Dan was still camped. And it's like, God, you promised us something. We shouldn't be stuck here. All these soldiers are in. Come on, someone's got to rise up and lead these people out to take possession of the land, to lay hold of something that you've promised us, something that we've seen, something that you've, we've heard, but we haven't seen it yet. And something stirred in him. And tonight, I, I want to pray that you would allow the Spirit to just stir you with an uncomfortable dissatisfaction with your life, with your family, with your school, with your workplace, with the church scene in Wellington. For some of you specific issues of, you know, child poverty or youth suicide and stuff, whatever, or, you know, elderly abuse, whatever, but something would stir go, there's got to be something more. Can I encourage you, however you open to God, maybe close your eyes, raise a hand or two to go, Holy Spirit, fill me, stir me, put a holy discontent, a divine frustration that's determined to make a difference. If you... 
be great just to be able to pray with you or get these guys to lead us in a song. But if you know that God is God is stirring something, God is propelling you, and 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 you just know that you just need to respond to something, can I invite you as we worship just to come out the front quickly? You can even start moving now, just as a signal to God. God, I I surrender to you. I want you to use my life to make a difference. And, and you sense the Spirit stirring something. If you want to come out the front, some of the leaders would love to pray with you. And just allow God to put fresh dreams, fresh purpose, fresh destiny into your life again. Come on, just move now and, and I'll invite these guys to lead us in a song and invite some of the leaders to come and pray.